Well, welcome back to our series on the book of Psalms. If you cast your minds back about uh, three or four weeks ago, you remember that we started this series uh, in Psalm 1 and 2. And we found out that Psalm 1 and 2 were actually the introductory Psalms to the whole book of Psalms, which is broken up into five sections. And last week, we jumped into Psalm 3, which is actually the beginning of the first section of the book of Psalms. And we saw last week that David was in a position where he was facing doom. His son Absalom usurped him as king, gathered the people of Israel and turned against David, and now David was on the run with a few of his companions, probably hiding in caves like this and praying. And he wrote Psalm 3 and said, In the times of doom, I look to Jesus for my defense. I take my eyes off myself and look to him for defense, and I depend on him. It's from him that I'll get my deliverance. And that was a psalm about waking up in the morning, being ready to go face a day because God is a deliverer. Well, today we hit Psalm 4, and Psalm 4 is kind of like the mirror psalm. It's the same setting as Psalm 3, but it talks about going to bed at night. And so today we see David being very, very open with God, very raw in his his speech with God. We see him actually pray for his enemies, Absalom and those people who are hunting him down. And he prays them to turn back to God. And at the end of his psalm, we see that David goes to sleep because he trusts God so much. Well, let's look at this psalm in turn. Verse 1, we see that David speaks very openly with God. Come with me to verse 1. It says this, Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Then when we first read this particular verse, we think, wow, David is quite bossy, isn't he? He's given seven directives to God, seven imperatives to God. And we sort of think, that's a bit rude. What's wrong with David? You know, is he like, I used to be the boss of a whole nation, and now they've all abandoned me, so I'll just sort of try and boss God around? I mean, is that what he's doing? Well, no, because as we read this verse more carefully, we'll see him appeal to my righteous God, the person who never does any wrong, and the person who is God. And he asks for mercy. You don't have to listen to my prayers, God, but please have mercy and listen to my prayers. He's not being rude. He's speaking to the father of the whole universe, but he's also speaking to his Abba father as well, his daddy. And so he's not being rude, but rather these these, these imperatives come from a place of brokenness, a place of, of openness, a place of rawness, really. He's in a desperate situation. They're trying to take his life. They're trying to take the lives of his companions. He's got nowhere else to run. And so he calls out to God, God, please, please save me and my companions. Now, David speaks like this to God. And he actually wants Israel to speak like this to God as well. That's why it's recorded for them in the Psalms, which they use, in many, they use to pray to God. This openness, this rawness, having their hearts in their hands before God, as it were. And it's true for Israel, and it's also true for us as well. We can also speak openly and honestly and desperately and intimately with God, not being rude, respecting that he is our Father in heaven and also our Abba Father, but openly and intimately with our hearts in our hands. And we do this oftentimes, don't we? We do this in many of our songs. Um, We sing a song by Matt Redman, and he says, "'Blessed be your name,' On the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. 
Now, I wonder how often we just sing these words and it just, just flies over our heads. But if we pause a while and think about what we're saying to God, we're actually saying, God, my life is hard right now. My relationships are broken. My health isn't good. My financial situation isn't stable. A myriad of things are happening to me. But even in the midst of my brokenness, in the midst of my sin, I want to praise you. That's my heart's desire, even though it's so clouded right now with suffering and pain. And it's good that we express ourselves like, with this kind of openness to God. And we do in song. But not just in brokenness. Sometimes uh, we sing songs that we want to honor God with our whole life. Uh, we used to sing this song a bit more in the past, a bit of an oldie. But we used to sing, I make a vow that my life will always honor Christ whether I live or die. I belong to him. He bore my sin. I owe this life to my saving king. Wow. How can we possibly utter words like that? I make a vow, a solemn promise to God that my life will always honor Christ whether I live or I die. And I know when I sing these songs, within a few hours of going to church and singing a song like that, I'm, I'm singing again and dishonoring God again. But it's still good and right for me to express this desire, to, to get on my hands and knees and to praise God and say, God, that's my heart's desire, to honor you with every single moment of my life, even though I know I'll fail. I want to do that with my life for you. But it's not just without lies, is it? It's also going out on the mission field. Here's someone that we sing quite often. We sing, Perform your wondrous deeds through those who are weak. Lord, use us as you want, whatever the test. And by grace, we'll preach your gospel till our dying breath. Let your kingdom come, that your will be done. We sing these words, say, God, we're going to be on mission with you. But you know what? When I sing these words, I sort of, whatever the test, in poverty, in hardship, whatever the test, and use us as you want. We'll preach your gospel to your dying breath. I find it hard to preach the gospel when I'm healthy and quite alert, let alone my dying breath. But deep inside us, if we're Christians, as we saw a few weeks ago from Francis Chan, there's, there's an animal inside us. We're designed for mission. We're designed to go to the promised land, heaven, and take people with us. And so we want to say, we want to get out there, God, and preach the gospel to our dying breath. That's our heart's desire. And so we sing words like this to God. And David is just being just as raw, just as open with God as we are in these songs. But having said that, oftentimes we don't pray like that, do we? We don't sing like that. We don't pray like that. When we use our own words, we don't. Now, why is that? Well, I think for three reasons. Firstly, some of us, it's our personality. Right? We are just more sort of temperate people. We're more measured people. And the way we speak is more measured. And the way that we pray is more measured. And if that's you, and I think it is kind of me as well, then we're not saying you have to change, you have to fake it, or there's something wrong with your relationship with God. No, that's just who you are. We speak to God according to our personalities, and we just don't use a lot of emotive language or, or big ideas. We just speak to God honestly, simply, but truthfully and genuinely. And so if that's you, don't fake it for the rest of us. Don't fake it to God. He'll know. Just keep on doing what you're doing keep on being honest with God and raw with God and keep speaking to God just the way you are. But some of us, we, are also, we don't pray like this because we're very considerate, right? We pray up here on the stage or we pray in our small groups and we sort of use sort of more calm language 
and more temperate language. And it's because we want people to understand what we're praying. And we want them not to sort of get distracted by the emotions of it all. And so we pray in a way that they can actually listen to the prayer, agree with, and at the end say, Amen. I agree. This is true. And so we're being considerate. And if that's you, keep on praying the way you're doing. Just be honest and be raw and intimate with God when you do it. And you know, if you're praying in public, I suspect that we could handle a bit more emotion, a bit more passion as well. So don't be afraid to cut loose a bit when you're leading us in prayer. But there is another group of us who we don't pray like this because there's a bit of a distance between us and God. Our relationship is a bit of a distant one. Now, before I go on, let me re-stress that some of us don't pray like this because it's our personality, and that's fine. Be genuine. Some of us doing it to be considerate. That's good too. We need to be considerate. But for some of us, we don't do it because there's a bit of a distance in our relationship with God. We're not intimate with Him. We don't feel that we can speak to Him this way because for some of us, we've been at church for six months or 60 years even, and our relationship with God hasn't really grown or deepened through that time. God is like a friend that we met many years ago, even in our childhood, that we really haven't grown in our relationship with, and so our conversations with this friend are always superficial. And we're kind of like that with God as well, because we really haven't grown, even though we've been at church for a long time. Some of us have been at church for a long time, and we just don't actually have that relationship with God. We come to church every week, we say the, the, the confession in the bulletins, we do the Lord's Prayer, we memorize it, we know the songs, but at the end of the day, when we leave church, we don't speak to God much at all. In fact, we don't speak to God at all until we come back the next week because we don't actually have a living relationship with God. Now, if you're sitting there tonight and you're thinking, oh my goodness, that's kind of me, then there's good news for you because God wants a relationship with us. God wants to have you as a son and a daughter. So if you're, not, you're thinking, my goodness, I've been at church for a while, but I'm not a Christian yet, then this is a great opportunity to talk to your friend about it. If you're a bit, talk to your small group leader about it. Talk to Mal, talk to myself, talk to somebody about it. And let's, let's get this relationship with God happening. But for the others who think we're a bit distant from God, your relationship is there. It's just distant. It's just a little bit awkward at times. If that's you, then why don't you right now, where you're sitting, to shoot a quick prayer to God saying, God, you know, I want to be more intimate with you. I want to pray, in a sense, like David. I want that closeness, that rawness. And then go home tonight and actually pray. Open up your heart to God. Share with him your problems. Present your requests. Praise him for being good. Confess your sins before him. Start being intimate and close with God tonight because he wants you to be more intimate with him, be more connected with him. The good news is he's always sitting there waiting for you. So go home tonight and do that. Well, David does it. And David wants Israel to do it. That's why it's put into the, the psalm book which Israel will pray from. And God wants us to do it. Have this open, honest relationship with God where nothing's off the table. Well, David moves on. He now continues to talk to God in this psalm, but he actually turns his attention to his enemies. It's kind of weird, right? Because he's talking to God, but he's sort of, sort of talking to his enemies. What's going on here? The closest parallel I can think of was uh, probably a political rally where you know, the political leaders get up and say, you know what, we're so good, we're going to solve the uh, economic problems of this country, we're going uh, to be generous to asylum seekers, we're going to fix up crime, we're going to fix the rail infrastructure, and then they turn to the, to the opposition party and say, opposition party, we're going to fix the mess that you made, and we're going we're to make this, this country great. 
They're supposed to say things like that. Oh, and so David is kind of doing that. He's still talking to God, but he's actually focusing on the enemy. Now listen to what he says. We see this in verse 2. He says this, How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin when you are on your beds. Search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of a righteous and trust in the Lord. David says two things to his opponents. First one, he says, you guys have abandoned me and followed after Absalom. You've turned all the good things I've done as a king and turned them into shameful things so you could get rid of me. But you guys are living in a delusion. You see, God has installed a king. And it's not my son Absalom, it's me, David. And you can run your delusion for a while, but after a while, this delusion will come crashing down on you, and the reality of who God has installed as king will come back into play. You guys are living in delusion. He calls them out. And not only is that the case back then in Israel's history, but it's also the case in our world today, isn't it? One of the popular phrases we hear bantered about today is, you know, this community is for everyone, whether you have any faith or no faith at all. And it sounds so nice. It's so inclusive. You know, there's no one God. Whatever God you like is okay. And if you have no God, that's all right as well. That's fine. That's what the world is shouting out at us. But God says, no, it's not any faith or no faith. It's one faith. There is one king. And in the world today, the king is Jesus. If you recall, recall back to Psalm 2, Jesus is the one that God has installed on his hill Zion. And you better kiss the sun because if his anger flares up, he'll smash you like pottery. See, the world says all faiths, any faiths or no faith. God says no, one king. And this delusion will last for a while, but soon this delusion will come crashing down on the heads of those who are deluded. And certainly one day, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So we can be confident that this is the case. And we are at church, aren't we? I mean, on a Sunday evening, we come to church, we've got stained glass windows, we've got a band playing, some guy giving a talk, and we say, yeah, Jesus is king, I really believe in that. But I suspect when we go out there tomorrow on our holidays and go back to work and, and do extra study for the uni students on Tuesday, and we get back into our clubs uh, outside church and we're in the minority again, then we might feel a little bit less bold. We might start to even doubt. Is it possible that Jesus is the only way? I mean, can they all be wrong and just me and my little band of friends at church be right? Is that possible? We might question ourselves and might flow through the way that we actually talk. That certainly happened to me a while ago. It happens to me quite a bit, actually. But uh, about a couple of years ago, uh, I was at WYSIWORLD uh, with my kids, and there was a birthday party, and I got into a conversation with a few dads. WYSIWORLD, if you don't know, it's just this massive sort of jungle gym thing that kids just climb all over and you know, smash into each other. Um, uh, and I was there talking to a few dads, and then one of them, we talked about his career. I think he was uh, some sort of engineer of some sort. And then, and then somewhere we got sidetracked. We started talking about happy science. You know, happy science is that, that sort of temple-looking thing on Pacific Highway in Chatswood. And I go, what's happy science? And I said, well, I'm not really sure myself. 
And he said, oh, I'm pretty sure it's a cult. And I said, yeah, yeah, I think it's a cult, actually. Yeah, the little I know about it, it's pretty much a cult. And he goes, you know what? I don't know what they are. They are those evangelicals. I'm like, oh. He goes, you know, those happy, clappy evangelical types. I go, oh, um, I don't think they're evangelicals. And he goes, wait a minute. You're probably one of them. <laughs> like, oh, well, um, I am, actually. And he said, oh, actually, we talked about my work. What do you do for work? And I said, oh, I'm an evangelical pastor. And you should have seen his face. Like, he was awkward. I was awkward. We're, what do we talk about next? So I think we just talked about the weather or something. Now, I went away from that conversation, and I was thinking to myself, why did I do that? Like, if this guy was at church, and he starts talking like that, I would say, you know what? Do you know what an evangelical is? Do you know what we believe? Do you, know, do you, do you want me to tell you about Jesus? Now, I would have done that at church. But in that setting, I sort of thought, oh, I'm in a minority here. It'll be really awkward with this guy. And, and what if the other dads and mums joined in? Then I'd be like the weirdo who actually believes that Jesus is God and you guys are all wrong. And, and so therefore, I just sort of backed away. Because it's easy to be a believer here at church, isn't it? It's harder outside. But the truth is, God has installed a king on Zion. Jesus is king at church and outside as well. And we can be confident of that when we're here sitting in this hall. And we can be confident of this when we're outside. So let me encourage you guys and myself, next time that happens, just remember, God has installed his king on Zion and we have nothing to be ashamed about. We're not the deluded ones. We have the truth that they need to hear and be bold and speak up. You're a member of the society as much as they are and tell them about God. Now that's the world. And it's easy to look at the world and say, ah, those guys are deluded. They don't know the truth. We know the truth. Jesus is king. But having said that, do our lives reflect that Jesus is king? Like, what are our priorities in life? Do they line up to Jesus' priorities? What are the greatest loves in our lives? Do they line up to Jesus' greatest loves? Uh, we just went away on a 7 uh, p.m. weekend away. And one exercise, we're, we're working out what our priorities are. And then we, at another question, we looked at what do we do with our life? And do they actually line up? And one of my highest priorities, of course, is my family, like most of us. And uh, my kids, I want to grow up and be happy and be uh, well-adjusted and have lots of friends and stay Christian and, and do well at school. I want all of those things. But then I was, a few uh, weeks ago, I was at a mission conference uh, over in um, Malaysia, Singapore, and I met up with an old friend who I went to church with in Boston. And after I left Boston, he left Boston too, and he took his family to China. He was an investment banker, and he wanted to work for a Christian NGO in China because they needed his skill set. So he took his family to China. But around that region of China, there wasn't any good schools for his kids. So he sent his kids to a boarding school in Taiwan, which was good. And so he made his kids boarders at a pretty young age. And I was just thinking that to myself, wow, would I have done that? I would really struggle to do that because I want my kids to sort of be stable. Now, I know there's arguments for and against this kind of stuff, but for them, they thought about it, they talked about it, they prayed about it, they sought advice, and in the end, they thought what's really needed for the kingdom is for this, this guy to serve in this Christian NGO. And the kids might not get the most stable upbringing, but that's okay. They love their kids. They want the best of their kids, but their kids are just one part of the equation, a bigger equation that includes expanding the kingdom of God. And for those reasons, they made that choice. And that was a bit of a rebuke to me because maybe I have my family, my kids, too high on the list and they've got 
the actual right perspective. Now, that was them. That's me. But all of us have certain things in our lives, don't we? It might be our kids or our grandkids. It might be our careers. It might be our retirement. It might be our financial stability. It might be our reputation. Whatever it is, are those the kind of things that we actually aspire towards and want and spend our time and effort chasing? Or are the priorities of God the things we chase after? See, we know Jesus is king. We're not deluded. But do our lives show that we know that Jesus is king? Easy to think something and say something, but do we actually live it out with our lives? So David calls them out for doing that. But not only that, after all of this, David says a second thing to these people. He says, you know what? What I want for you guys, I want you guys to repent. He doesn't want their downfall or destruction. They'll come next week in Psalm 5. Come back and listen to that one. But for now, he wants them to repent, right? He says, in your, you tremble. That tremble has a, the, the, the connotation of trembling in anger. When your anger, do not sin. Lie in your bed and contemplate, meditate over what God said and realize that he's installed David as king, not Absalom. And then repent and make the sacrifices of the righteous. Go back to God, say sorry, line yourself up with God again. You see, David doesn't just call out these enemies and say, you're wrong. He prays for them and says, return back to God. And I wonder, do we pray for our family and our friends and our workmates and our study mates who aren't Christians, who are deluded? Do we pray for them? Because David is wanting, he does it himself, even his enemies who are trying to kill him. And he wants Israel to be praying for the lost. And certainly God wants us to be praying for the lost as well. I shared with you a while ago that um, every night, myself and Anne, we pray for something different. And on Friday night, we pray for the non-Christian friends in our lives. We pray for more non-Christian friends. And we also pray that the ones that we have will grow in our relationship with them so that we can actually talk more about things like God and not be awkward. Now, God sometimes puts these people in our lives, and sometimes he doesn't, but it's good for us to keep praying for it. So let me encourage you to do the same thing. Set aside some time, pray for your non-Christian family and friends. David wanted Israel too, and God wants us to as well. All right, now it's a lot of work, isn't it? Praying honestly, praying for his enemies even, and at the end of all of this, he trusts God enough to go to sleep. And we see this in verses 6 through to 8. So come with me to verse 6. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and their new wine abounds. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. See, at the end of all of these things, there's a bunch of people who are asking, probably his cohorts at this point. They're asking, you know, who can bring us prosperity? Who can do us good? You know, look at those guys in Jerusalem. Look at Absalom and his friends. They've got the palace. They've got the fortified city. They've got the new grain and the new wine. They've got the, the good, secure careers. They've got their good bank accounts. They've got their kids in good schools. They've got all of those things. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But these guys are asking, well, what about us? We're faithful to God and we've got nothing. And David's replies, those things are great and fantastic and good and blessings from God. But you know what's even better than all that? Having God's face shine upon us in this life and also as we head off to heaven to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And because he had God's face shine upon him, those things are great. But he was satisfied. 
and he wanted his cohort, he wanted his companions to be satisfied in God as well. Now, that's true of us, isn't it? Because God has blessed us with lots of things. God's blessed us with, with um, studies and with degrees. God's blessed us with children and grandchildren. God's blessed us with ministries here at church, music teams, small group leading, kids ministry, the whole lot. God's blessed us with ministries outside church. Uh, God has blessed us with our own lives and our own friends, circle of friends. And he's blessed us richly. And those things are great blessings from God. And we need to be looking after them and stewarding them well for God. But at the end of the day, we can do well at that and not be anxious that we haven't done well enough, not to, be, not to be always wondering what will happen to these things if we don't do it exactly right, because God loves us, our, our uni friends. God loves our children, our grandchildren. Our, God loves our ministries more than we do. God loves us, and he's proven it to us by dying, by sending Jesus to die on the cross. Not only does he love us, but he's powerful and he's wise, unlike us. And so the powerful and wise God who loves us so much is caring for all of those things in our lives. We just need to do a good job stewarding them. And then when it comes to the end of the day, lay down and go to sleep and trust God with all those things. Uh, one of uh, my favorite singers, a woman called Amy Grant, an American uh, singer, said, summed it up like this. If you look in the mirror at the end of a hard day, and you know in your heart you have not lied. If you gave love freely and you earned an honest wage, and if you have Jesus by your side, well, you can thank the Father for the things that he has done and thank him for the things he's yet to do. And if you find a love that's tender, if you find someone that's true, well, thank the Lord. He's been doubly good to you. See, David prayed earnestly and openly with God. David prayed for his enemies even, that they would realize that they're wrong and repent and come back to God. David, from the rest of the Bible we know, looked after all those in his care, both while he was on the run and while he was back in Israel. David did all of these things. At the end of the day, David would go to sleep because he knew God loves him and God is powerful. And he thanked the Father for the things that he has done and thanked him for the things he's yet to do. And we can too. Amen. We've got some questions. Yes. Okay. Love questions. Okay. The first question, uh, the reason King David can trust God and be honest with God mm. is a result of his intimacy with God. How does one develop intimacy with God? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's hard, right? Because if you don't have intimacy, it's hard to so get more intimacy. But I think that the best way to do it is, like I suggested, just ask God. God, I'll, my relationship with you is a bit cold at the moment. I'm a bit distant from you. Uh, please draw me closer. So the first thing, I hope some of you actually prayed in the pew just then that you would be growing more intimate with God. The second thing is sort of immerse yourself with God. Like, How do you become more intimate with a friend? You don't do it by not seeing them for like you know, a week, a month, a year. If you want to become more intimate with a friend or get closer to a friend, you actually have to make time and spend time with them. So how do we do this? Well, it's, it's a matter of, it's very simple. We spend time talking to God, talking openly and honestly to God, and also we spend time immersing ourselves in God. Um, we hear a sermon every week, we sing some songs every week, but it doesn't have to end on a Sunday. Why don't you listen to Christian CDs? Uh, oh, well, CDs, but older, shows my age. Uh, just plug in your phone in your car, listen to Christian music, immerse yourself in that. Uh, read some books about God during the week. Um, uh, 
uh, it doesn't work for me so much, but I heard it works for a lot of people. Read uh, biographies of Christians in the past and just hear how God's been faithful to them. And as you immerse yourself in God, then over time, I think you'll realize, oh my goodness, God is so good. I want more of this God. But it's just like any relationship with another human being. The further away we are, the less intimate. The closer we are, the more we get of them, the more intimate. So pray, immerse yourself, and in time it'll happen. Hmm. Awesome. This is uh, more of a comment than a question, but I thought maybe you might comment on the comment. Comment on the comment, sure. Sure. Uh, Just a comment. It's amazing what some evangelical Christians do and the sacrifices they make, but can't reflect God in our lives as we live uh, amongst a secular society. Yeah, that's a good comment. Um, Just looking at some of the areas of life, in the health sciences, I think it's harder for Christians to shine because everyone is nice. And so when we're nice, we're just normal. But where I come from, finance, when you're nice, you really stand out. And so, yeah, so sometimes it is, the world is nice. But even when the world is nice and we're nice, um, we're not just nice because we're nice. There's a reason for our niceness. And so over time, we actually need to say, yeah, I'm nice, you're nice, we're both nice together, that's great. Uh, But you know what? I'm nice because God loves me, and I want to love you with God's love, and I'm just not naturally a nice person. Yeah. I don't know if that helped. There was a comment on your comment. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Thanks heaps, Tom. That's really great.